I remember one time, though, I was talking to, uh, at the time, one of our single staff members um, who, it was after a meeting, and we were talking about just uh, this particular show, and they were going on and on about this TV show. Eric, is the greatest show I've ever seen in my life, and it's so good, and you've seen this show, right? And, and I uh, was like, no, actually, I haven't, and they were like dumbfounded. They were like, how have you not seen this show? I was like, I just haven't really gone around, don't really have the time. And they went, okay, but you know, but it's not nearly as good as the show. And I said, yeah, I haven't seen that other. And they were <laughs> aghast. Like, what do you mean? You haven't seen that show. And I said, well, you know, like, uh, just don't really have the time to, to binge multiple television. Okay, but let's put those up. But surely I know you have seen this show. And I said, yeah, I'm going to hate to break it to you. I haven't seen that one either. And they were just dumb. And they asked me the question, what do you do with all of your time? And I said, I have two young kids and a wife. I don't have any uh, disposable time on my hands. You have like six to eight hours a day that you don't know what to do with yourself. I've got like six to eight hours a month that I got to carefully craft how I can, can use those as best as I can. And it got me thinking, it got me thinking of the last time, it's been a long time since I was single. And, and my wife and I, we have some really weird conversations, usually at my detriment. And this is like a couple months ago, I remember telling my wife and I said, Diana, if you were to just like randomly die, again, like, you know, and I, and I was like, okay, you know, like a, a plane crash, car accident, something. I was like, I don't know what I would do with myself. Like, I, I, I don't, I would be awkward. I, I don't know if I would ever remarry. I was just like, I just don't, literally have no idea. And she said, well, thankfully, my parents live nearby and they would take care of you just like they would the kids. <laughs> but it's the truth of the matter is like, it's been a long time since I have been a single dude. Some of you are in the room today, and, and that is your life. You are a single person, and you find yourself single for perhaps a variety of reasons. Maybe you find your, yourself single just because you haven't been married yet. Maybe you find yourself single because uh, you're, you're widowed and your spouse passed away. You might be single because divorce is, is a part of your story. I think there's people uh, in our church who I would say they are functionally single. The, the letter of the law says they're still married, but they are living as if they are a single individual. The thing is, is that singleness is a part of all of our lives. Sometimes we choose it. Other times it chooses us. But no matter if you're a single, will be single, desire to be single or not, navigating those waters can be tricky. And so I just want to start here this morning because singleness, when it comes to the church, we oftentimes maybe have poor understandings or what it means, what it looks like. So I'm just going to lay the foundation here this morning and start with this idea that being single does not mean that there's something wrong with you. And all the single ladies are like, amen, preach it, love that. This is my favorite church. I'm coming back here over and over and over again. Being single does not mean that there is something wrong with you. Singleness in the Bible is oftentimes defined as just basically somebody who is not married. It doesn't matter if they're engaged. It doesn't matter if they're divorced. Singleness just means somebody who is not betrothed. And the truth of the matter is that singleness is actually on the rise in our culture today. If you were to go back 50 years ago to the 70s, which when I was studying, I was like, wait, that's not 50 years ago. Then I was like, that was 50 years ago. Holy cow. So you go back 50 years ago to the 70s, the majority of weddings, the bride on average was 21 years old and the groom was 24. 
And 80% of the population was married and was about to be married or desired to be married. 80%. Fast forward to today. If you were to take the average age of the bride and groom, the bride on average is 28 years old. The groom is traditionally around the average age of 30 years old. And only 30% of our population desires to be or to stay married throughout their entire life. People are getting married later. They're choosing not to marry altogether. Cohabitation is on the rise. Simply put, singleness is a much longer and more repeatable, if you will, season for a lot of our lives. And what I I want to talk about this morning as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is we need to have a healthy, formative view of our singleness. We need to see our singleness as having a purpose for it. That your single years aren't necessarily disposable years until you get married. Your singleness isn't something that you have to wallow in until you receive that other person. That singleness in scripture is defined as a gift. Simply put, I just want to say this to you, is that your singleness matters. Your singleness matters a lot. And I'm afraid that our culture has taught us sometimes that our singleness doesn't matter. Certain dating apps, I've never been on a dating app before, I don't know how they work, but I'm familiar with some of them, is they kind of teach you to teach, treat your singleness flippantly. It's disposable years, they don't really count, you'll grow up eventually, just play the field, have a little fun, explore your options, and if you get lucky, you'll find that person to settle down with. Our, our culture says singleness is something that will, until you, you may or may not have it, and then you just kind of figure it out along the way. And here's what I've known. Having been as a high school pastor for some time, being in this role, here's what I know, here's what I've learned, here's what I've seen about singleness. Are you ready for this? And it's, it's the same exact advice I give to somebody who's, who's single, somebody who's about to be married, somebody who's maybe walking through the divorce. Here it is. The, the advice is this, is who you are now, and we might say who you are in your season of singleness, best represents who you will be into the future. Whether that's continued season of singleness or not, your singleness matters, and it matters a lot. If you have your Bible, First uh, Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter 7. We've been in this study called True North, taking uh, the Apostle Paul, this guy by the name of Paul, unpacking this letter to this church in Corinth. And Corinth was a place that was kind of like Amsterdam today. Anything goes. They had a lot of loose feelings about sexuality, about money, about authority. Everything which just kind of went by the wayside. And the Apostle Paul's writing to this young church, these young Christians, to say, we got some things we need to fix. We've got some thinking we need to change. We've got some actions we need to get rid of. And he writes, as we have said, to kind of correct their worldview. Because you have a worldview, whether you realize that, and your worldview is made up of three things. Your worldview is made up of your actions, your beliefs, and your context. All three of those come together, and those, that worldview is going to define what is valuable to you, how you make decisions. And Paul is writing to say, as Christians, the center of our worldview is Christ, and everything in it becomes our filter. Last week, beginning of chapter 7, uh, Josh did such a great job talking about marriage and how marriage is a representation of the gospel of Jesus in our lives. But today, we don't talk about marriage. We got one for the rest of y'all. 
talking about singleness. Chapter 7, we're starting in verse 7 this morning. Follow along with me. Uh, you can always grab sermon notes, follow along. Uh, the sermon notes as you walk in where you grab communion. There's also study material to help you take our messages deeper throughout the week. Starting in chapter 7, verse 7 this morning, the apostle Paul says this. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am. And he's referring to in this moment that the apostle Paul is a single guy. But each of you has his own gift from God. One has this gift, the other has that. So now to the unmarried and to the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion, he says. At the time of writing, the apostle Paul was, was single, he tells us. Now, history would also inform us that most likely the Apostle Paul was not somebody who never married, but somebody where singleness sought him out. Paul was a good Jew. He's a very obedient Jew. And back in the ancient Middle East, as a Jewish person, you would have had almost a mandate to become married, to pass along the traditions, the lineage, to keep everything going. On top of that, we know that the Apostle Paul voted in the Sanhedrin in order to sit and have a seat in the Sanhedrin. It's kind of like the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will. He had to have been married. So now we have a guy who's saying, now, where I am in my life now, he's saying, I find myself open. I find myself uh, not married. So here we have a guy who's giving advice to both married and single people, having experienced both. And I might even say he's experienced all three. He's experienced singleness, to get married. He's experienced marriage, and now he is experiencing singleness post-marriage. And he writes with this very peculiar way and this recommendation, it's probably good if you don't. And some of us who are married are like, yeah, don't tell my wife, don't tell my husband. Wish I would have heard that one a little bit sooner. But he starts by making this point, and he's not drawing a distinction to say one is good as one is not. So the point one for us today, simply put, is that singleness is not a sin. Singleness is, is not a sin. Sometimes church paints it that way, does it not? Sometimes church culture tries to say in many ways, uh, uh, the married people is what God wants you to be, and if you're single, there's something wrong with you, or you're living in sin. In many ways, though, the, the Bible and scripture, the apostle Paul says singleness is a gift. There's an opportunity, there's a season to leverage and to utilize for your own benefit. So again, I say to you, whatever reason you might find yourself in a season of singleness now or in the future, it matters, it matters a lot. And so the question is not, are you single? Or will I have a season of singleness? Rather, how do I view it as a gift? Is what Paul says. He says marriage is a gift. Singleness is also a gift, but no one has been gifted to live a sexually immoral life. But it's this idea of trying to understand that, that what we want isn't always what's best for us, and what is best for us we don't always desire or appreciate. Or let's just say, um, uh, my son just had a birthday this week, and let's just say I gave my son two options, and I said to my son, Jude, you got two options for a birthday present. I will give you 100000 or not 100 I don't have $100,000. I'll give you $100 in stock. Some of you are like, what are we paying this guy? Yo, this is crazy. $100. I could swing $100. Give you $100 in a stock or a bond, or I'll give you $100 towards Legos. Which do you want? You know what my son would choose? What do you think? 
Stocks, that's right. He's weird. No, I'm just kidding. He would give me all the Legos you got, right? Now, the thing is, if he took that $100 stock or bond and just sat on it, by the time he was 18, 30, 45, or whatever, that thing could increase exponentially as long as dad picked the right stock, but dad don't do stock, so, you know, fingers crossed. But you get the idea, is that sometimes what is best for us is to take something we don't necessarily want in the moment, something that we don't desire in the moment, And what the Apostle Paul is saying, your season of singleness might seek you out whether you want it, desire it, like it or not, but it could be the best thing for you. And he adds this little thing. He says, so, you know, unless you're burning with lust, you should probably maybe consider singleness as an option. Now, the Corinthian culture was sex-obsessed. And they thought our God, the triune God, was a prude and that if you follow God, more so got married, that, that means you wouldn't get to have any. And the Apostle Paul, in some ways, right, he's actually God is pro-sex. He's just very pro-sex in the way, the context that he designed it, not to indulge the flesh around. Because it's better to marry than to burn with passion. He's talking about when you have those sex drives and it becomes a distraction, you need to consider that and what it's doing to your sanctification, your personal walk with Jesus, how it's affecting other people. But I want to be clear, what Paul is not saying is that unhealthy sexual things just disappear magically when you get married. He's not saying if you struggle with pornography and then you get married, boom, all of a sudden you're not going to anymore. If you have fleeting eyes, those will just kind of disappear as soon as you say, I do. He doesn't say that the lust of your hearts just magically, poof, overnight dissipate after the two become one. That's why Paul follows it up by saying, if you are to pursue and live in singleness, pray for self-control. And so if anybody is not married, you've been given the gift or the season of singleness, self-control probably needs to be the number one prayer request at the top of your list. I want to say that your season of singleness, no matter when it is, what it is, how you got there, is not a sin. And that's where we need to begin with it. And there's not something wrong with you. It's not wrong to be single, Paul says. Skip with me to verse 25. Paul then continues. He's going to talk about a couple other things. We'll talk some of those here in a couple weeks. Skip to verse 25. Paul says this. He says, now about the virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as to one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry and you uh, have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned, but those who marry, I love this part, will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. Now, we're talking about singleness. I could have stopped at verse 27, but for all the married people in the room, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Verse 28 rings true, don't it? Like we sometimes believe that marriage is a magic pill that's going to solve all of our problems. And Paul even says, he's like, just so you know, it's going to get worse. Because marriage is like a magnifying glass. Your faults, your flaws, the deep hidden stuff within you get exemplified and you got somebody always there watching like married people in the room how many of you gotten into a a fight with your spouse because somebody forgot to go to the store on the way home just me cool sweet 
How many, how many of you have fought over something stupid? Like the, the right way to load a dishwasher, right? Show of hands, okay? How many of you have gotten in that, that, that the heated debate of who actually pulls the right kind of weight around here? And all the married people are like, okay, okay, we get it. And Paul's just saying, marriage ain't no magic pill. It's, it's going to magnify the things in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. It doesn't solve everything. So Paul, he gives equal credence, purpose, value to both married and single people. So here's my second point is that singleness is not secondary. Singleness isn't like the JV team and then once you're married, you get to join the varsity squad when it comes to faith and Christianity. He's saying that singleness is a gift. It has a lot going for it. Don't think that marriage solves all your problems because it doesn't. It might make them worse. Singleness isn't, isn't secondary. And so he gives it, he says, so remain in the relational status that you are now. Now, why he's writing that is because there was a, a persecution going on in, in the city of Corinth for the Christians. And Paul is probably writing to say, okay, if you are single and there's some physical persecution happening, being single is actually a good thing. Because if you need to flee, you can just get up and go. If you need to aid somebody, you have the ability to do so. So if you are single, that's a great opportunity for you. At the same time, if persecution is happening because of your faith, if you are married, you have a responsibility to your spouse and to your children. And so he says, if you are married in the midst of a hard time, don't about face. Don't, don't just say, sorry, guys, you're on your own. I'm out of here. He says, kind of stay where you are. But then he doubles down again. So don't look for a wife. Don't look for a spouse. Don't look for a husband. It's kind of like, for real, Paul? Is, 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 that, is that really, if I'm going to be an obedient Christian, what I ought to do? And yet, I think what Paul is getting is, is that we tell ourselves, unfortunately, sometimes, and sometimes the church has done a bad job of saying that, that you will not be a complete person you will not be whole and valuable until you are married, until there is somebody standing at your side waiting for you when you drive in and then just ask, where did that dent come from? It wasn't there when you left this morning. And Paul, what he's saying is you have value now. You don't need another individual to give you meaning and purpose and hope in this life. Like, I don't know if you realize this. This might be a spoiler for some of you. Jesus never got married. Whoa. Never got married. Never slept with a woman. And as far as I can tell, lived a pretty awesome, fulfilled life. Did he not? Being single doesn't mean you are lesser spiritually. In fact, it can mean more. Because it can mean that there's something on the table there's more at your disposal, your time, sometimes finances, opportunity in an unhindered life when you are single. That singleness has to be an option. Jesus placed it on the table, so therefore we should too. A life of singleness has to be an option. Because the culture and the society we live in, our views as a church, our views about gender, attraction, sexuality, those are set by God. Those are not set by me. Those are not set by us. We don't take a vote. They're not set by our culture. 
And so, so those who find themselves in a same-sex-attracted identity, there has to be an option to know, to love, to pursue Jesus that also does not break his law or his design for human flourishing. And so whether it's sex, marriage, or being in a particular type of relationships, I think what Paul is trying to say, he's saying those can't complete you as a person. Only Jesus can do this. Your singleness matters, but it's not all holding pattern. It's not disposable time. It's not because something's wrong with you. It's an indication of what you pursue and value now is what you will pursue into the future. And so the question becomes is how do we pursue in our season of singleness? And I'll tell you where we're going next applies to everybody in this room. Single, married, widowed, divorced, on the verge of functionally, whatever it is, that where Paul takes us next is a recommendation for anybody, no matter their relational status in this life. Here's our last part of chapter 17. Uh, skip with me to verse 32 through 35. He says, I'd like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord affairs, Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord, both in body and spirit. But a woman married is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, Paul says not to restrict you, but in a way that you might live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. If you have a Bible with you, if you have some, uh, a circle highlight that phrase, undivided devotion, it might say something along the lines of being committed or steadfast, something along, but, but, but mark up verse 35 there. Well, Paul is saying, in order to be single well, it means you need to have a high view of yourself and a high view of who Jesus is calling you to be. That the value that Jesus has given to you already doesn't significantly change or alter no matter your relational status. Let me ask a question. What, what is the value of a home? Right? Real estate agents in there, any, any in the room, Right? What is the value of a home? And you might say location, you might say square footage, whatever. But at the end of the day, the true value of a home is two things. What somebody is willing to pay for it and what somebody is willing to sell it for. Am I right, Jordan? Is that right? Okay, he's a real estate agent, confirmed, okay? That is how you define the value of a home. Two things. What somebody is willing to pay to get it and what somebody is willing to give it up for. Now, if you were in the process of buying a home and you said, this home is like a $300,000 home. I'll give you $300,000. Mm, no, how about two dollars You'd be like, okay, I'll take the deal. And sometimes what we unfortunately have done in our singleness is we lessen our own value. We treat ourselves less and we believe the lie because I'm single, I'm less than... I'm not complete yet. I'm not whole until I'm married. So therefore, my value is diminished right now. And when our value is diminished, it can be purchased or bought or sought out at a different price of what we're actually worth. If we, if we minimize our value, then things like our, our, our sexual intimacy begins to be traded as a commodity for, for intimacy. Not that which is sacred, of a union between a husband and a wife. 
When we cheapen our value because we just feel less than because we're not married, because we're not whole yet, what we begin to let do is we let people treat us poorly or drag us through the mud because we think, well, is this the only option? Maybe if I was married, he or she would treat me differently. But until then, I guess this is what I have to do. And the apostle Paul is saying, no, 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 stop it. Know your value. Know your worth, and that comes from the name of Jesus. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has designed you with passions and desires and hopes and dreams in a future. Do not undervalue yourself, and don't you dare let somebody take that from you. What I want to say is this. Overall, when it comes to singleness, this is my main point for this morning, is that singleness, when done right, It is sanctifying. It brings us closer to Jesus like never before. Singleness is a season to determine and to define your value, to determine your values in life as well. The word sanctifying means to chase after the things you value most, the things that you will give credence to make decisions and give you worth in this life. You know what Paul said? He said, a single person has the ability to care about the things of the Lord, the Lord's affair, whereas there's the, the married people, they don't get quite that undivided attention. So Paul's making the same. All the single ladies, he's like, where are you at? All the single fellows, where are you at? You have a unique ability to determine a worth and value that will far, uh, uh, go far beyond any relational status you will ever have in this season. But right now, everybody else, they got things to be concerned about. They got things to think about. They got things to consider. And the irony is we often think of it as the opposite, is that singleness is a distraction from following God. And Apostle Paul says, no, 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 single person. It is a gift. It is an opportunity. It's a chance for you to know, love, to follow Jesus more than anybody else. It is a gift. See, singleness doesn't hold you back, but it's an opportunity, as he said, to seek that undivided devotion. So here's this word, undivided, this phrase, undivided devotion, okay? The word devotion, it's like three words in the Greek kind of made together. It's almost like a phrase. It means on the first part, well done. That's somebody who has been good at or been well done at something. The second part is beside. So somebody who's good at being uh, beside with the purpose of feeling settled or a foundation, okay? So what Paul is saying, the single people, you have the ability to have undivided devotion, to get good at being beside Jesus and feeling settled and having a foundation for your life. Like how many of you got one of those uh, house divided flags at home? Anybody, right? Like, your house is divided between Cubs and Cardinals, right? We got some of those around here. Uh, I've seen a, a Purdue Illini one around here. I pray for that family every time I drive by it. Not going to last here in Champaign. And we have this idea that sometimes we get divided over perceptions or approach. And the Apostle Paul is saying, your devotion, you need to get good at being beside, chasing Jesus, and getting comfortable there. Because when other people are introduced into your life, it will create division and they will pull you away. And so what Jesus, I believe, is saying, he said, get ready, get comfortable running next to Jesus. This is what it's like, right? So your goal, he said, you got to run in this life. You run and you run and you run and you run next to Jesus. Like, yo, what's up, Jesus? Let's do this. And he's like, yeah, let's go. He's like, and he's like doing curls and stuff as you're going, okay, I'm not that buff yet. But you're running in life, right? 
And what happens as we run in life, if we don't have undivided attention, if we don't get good at, at running beside Jesus, and Jesus is saying, this is the map, this is the way, this is life, this is what we're doing, and you're all hyped up, like, yeah, Jesus, let's go. And you start going, and he starts taking off because he's in better shape than you are, but you're like, cool, no worries, I'm going to catch up. And then all of a sudden, somebody catches your eye. You're like, oh, man, she's got some shorts on. I'm going to go over there, right? And they're like, oh, no, I'm supposed to be chasing Jesus. Jesus, get back here. And you're running to the... Oh, man, he's ripped. He's got a six-pack. What's going on over here? And you guys, no, 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 I got to get back. And you start running. You're like, man, I don't know if I want to do this. And somebody's like, hey, you want to come inside over here? I got a donut. And you're like, I love donuts. Let's get some donuts. And what the apostle Paul is saying is you need to run the race of life and faith, Martha, and you need to get good at knowing who is next to you. Because when you're running, and if you look up, and that ain't Jesus next to you, you've gotten off track. If you are running and you see on one side of you is Jesus and there's nobody else, you are in the exact spot he wants you to be. If you're running and you look up and you see Jesus and then you see your spouse, you are in the exact spot he wants you to be because you have gotten good at running. But if you're running and you look up and you see another person or you see a place or you see an app or you see a collection of fools, and you look to the other side and Jesus is not there, you have lost the race. Because you are no longer good at, you no longer have devotion to the thing that matters most. Get comfortable running alongside, chasing after Jesus. I'll close with this thought and then I'll explain it. thought is that singleness, the way we do this, is the season to solidify who your Savior is. When we're single, we sometimes get told that, well, once you're married, then you'll be complete. In your singleness, play the field, explore the options, see who you're compatible with. And then you'll find what matters most. And Paul says, no, no, no. In your singleness, solidify your Savior. Undivided devotion to Jesus, that's the goal. But if you can't learn it in your season of singleness, hear me when I say this, don't count on it continuing on to when you're not. So how do we do that? How do we make Jesus solidified as our Savior? Three quick thoughts, and I'll end my time with you this morning. Number one, as you chase after Jesus, you chase after him and only him. You don't chase after not being married. You don't chase after being married. You don't chase after sex, a man, a woman, a magical wedding, a joint bank account, a particular house, a square footage. You chase after Jesus. Because who or what your Savior is will call the shots that determine not just your values in life, but your value of your life. And Jesus as your Savior means that he has defined your self-worth. And your self-worth in the name and the image of God is that you are perfect, you are created to love him, to know him, to make a difference in this world, that you are never cast aside no matter your past, present, your future decisions, no matter what you've done, no matter if your past is something you are really, really proud of or nothing that you want to have and you want to decide. What Jesus says is, in me, I have made you whole, I have made you complete, you are entirely loved, there is nothing that I can't do to let my spirit overcome you with my grace to give Give you the greatest life possible, but he has to be your savior. 
that you are worthy of love and and purpose exactly how you are. Not once you're married, or not once with your soulmate, or not, not once you feel your sexual life is fulfilled right now. Second thing of how we solidify our Savior is to build the habits now. Heard it this week that every action is a vote towards the type of person who you wish to become. And as single people, sometimes the the hardest thing I imagine to battle, the habits, is what do you do with the loneliness, coming home to that empty apartment or house? That's where community becomes so valuable and important, but not just any community, right type of community, the right type of people who you're hanging out with. And married people, to all of us, I'm just going to put it out there, myself included, we can probably get a lot better at welcoming and inviting the single people into our lives. Come to our home, come to our table. Just because you don't have kids ruining your life and pulling out your hair and hitting you with a lightsaber when you said, stop it for the third time. They need that community just like we do. Build those habits now. Go to church, serve on a team, use your gifts, pray, read the Bible, pursue accountability, give, find community. Singleness affords you the most time and clarity to build those habits. James Clear, he he stole this from an ancient philosopher, but he says, we do not uh, fall to the level of our expectation, we rise to the level of our habits. Build the habits now. Thirdly, we'll close with this. Create a non-negotiables list. The best time to think about a problem is when you are not in the problem. Before or after the problem is the best time to have clarity of what you wish you will do or wish you would have done. In the midst of it is very difficult because you've got emotions and thoughts and feelings. Create a non-negotiables list in your singleness that if I were to pursue somebody, if somebody were to pursue me, if I find myself single again, this is what I want to do. And never compromise. One of the stories I heard uh, this week was that compromise is like a spare tire. It gets you to the next destination, but you don't want it on for the long haul. You wouldn't drive across a compromised bridge. You wouldn't use a computer with a compromised hard drive. And you definitely wouldn't want to live with a compromised immune system. Create a non-negotiables list and don't compromise. could look things like this. I will go to church. He will go to church. I will pursue Jesus daily. I will read the Bible. I will pray. I will serve. She will read the Bible, pray, serve. I will give generously to the church because I love Jesus and he has called that to me because it's not my money, it's his. 10% goes to him because that is what he has called me to do. And so then if there is ever a we we will do the same. Create that non-negotiables list so that when he or she tries to sneak their way in, you've got a list ready to go. Hey, I'm going to church this Sunday. Would you want to come with me? No, yeah, Jesus really ain't my thing, but you're cute. Can we go on a date? Nope. Next. Hey, I really think we should tie this knot. We should make it a thing. Cool. 10% of my income goes to my church because it's a gift that God has given to me and I want to be obedient to him. What about you? Well, I'll give later on down the road. Sorry. Next. You're pretty. 
I'm single, you're single, you want to mingle, we can hang out. Why don't, you, why don't you come on over? We'll Netflix and chill. The, the real kind. But you know, what happens, happens, and we'll just, we got to see if this is a thing, right? Nope. I don't do that. It's a non-negotiable for me. I have a list. If you don't match it, you are going to distract me away from chasing after Jesus, and that's what I'm on this life to do. So what I've been placed here to do is to know him, to love him, to serve him, to be generous with him. And if you don't match this list, either somebody else will or Jesus is saying, this is exactly who I need you to be for this season of your life. I'm not saying singleness is easy. I'm not saying it's something that, that, that just, just, you just love Jesus more and help. But what I am saying is it's powerful. There's opportunity in it. It is a gift, but we must steward it well. We must steward it wisely if we want to see its value and importance for our lives, for our community, for those who belong to Jesus. Do I have you? I'll close with this. Singleness is like Legos. Got Legos on the mind. Singleness is like Legos. You're given a box of Legos. There's two ways to go about it. You can take out your favorite pieces and build something and hope it looks good and works, or you can follow the blueprints and the instructions to arrive at the intended outcome. At the end of the day, the choice is yours, but Jesus has made it clear, those who love him, this is what I've called you to. We're gonna move into a time of communion this morning as we continue to worship, and and what I invite you to do, a timer's gonna come on the screen for three minutes. I want to say to, to those of you in the room that, that communion represents the opportunity for us to remember and to reflect on the goodness of God. And, and I say this pastorally, and I say this with, with hopefully love and empathy, because I know some of the people, your stories of what you're walking through right now, communion and what it represents is the thing you need most right now to remind you that you are whole, that you are complete, that you are valuable in the name and the image of Jesus and Jesus alone, not whether or not somebody is standing next to you. That we love you. We are glad you are here. You have a place with us and that no matter what the future holds, we call you family because we are called family by the body of Jesus broken the blood of Christ shed and so it brings us all together for those of us in the room that maybe we're not in a season of singleness use this time to reflect on maybe that relationship do you need to be humble do you need to forgive do you need to pray something out do you need to seek forgiveness There's too much at stake. There's too much of a present crisis going on for us to not take Jesus and his love and his grace and his mercy and his gospel seriously in our lives. And that's what communion affords us, the reminder on a daily, weekly basis that in the family of God, we are valuable because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's it. I'll leave you in this time to worship through communion.